This morning, here's what I believe God wants to do in your heart. So I'm just going to prepare you and warn you so that you can be prepared for what I believe God wants to do. And that's, I believe God wants to do a work of healing in your heart. Okay, and there's something unbelievably profound about proclaiming the promises of God. Okay, because I'm sitting over there, and my wife looks at me, and she's like, you, you okay? Okay, are you, are you ready? I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm ready. But, like, I was just like, I'm just, I'm just not at ease here. Like, I'm not like, I want to preach this morning. So I'm sitting there, and, the, and I'm hearing the song sung over me, and I'm not singing, I'm just hearing the song sung over me, and I'm hearing the words of truth, I'm hearing the truth of the gospel spoken over my ears and over my mind and washing over me. And without even really realizing it, I kind of sat up and I began to proclaim the very things that were sung over me, and began to feel this healing work of God in my heart, okay, because the promises of God will heal you. Okay, now we're going to come to two stories this morning, so if you want to go to John 4, but, but before we dive into these two stories of healing, like we, need to, we need to back up and we need to be reminded of what, why are we here? Okay, what's going on? That's why I love what Jeff said about why, why are we here on Sunday mornings, um, but what's going on in, in the gospel of John? What are we trying to understand in the gospel of John? Okay, because we could look at two healing stories and just kind of nitpick them and dive into them and, and miss really what's happening, okay? So, um, John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, really encapsulate the um, message and the goal of John's gospel. Here's what it says. This should sound familiar to you. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. So we know that there's a lot of things that Jesus did that, that aren't recorded here in Scripture. But, verse 31, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Okay, so the stories we're going to look at, we know from this Scripture that they're a sign pointing to Jesus as the only true Savior, the only true Messiah, the only Christ who can and will bring healing to your heart because of what we celebrated last week, Easter. Okay, so as we dive into these stories, I need your minds there. Okay, how do these depict? It's about Jesus, He's the healer. He's the Savior. He's the true Messiah. Okay, and not completely get bogged down in the details and the nitty-gritty of the two healing stories we're going to look at. Okay, so um, John chapter 4, um, we'll pick it up at verse 43. After the two days, he departed for Galilee. So Jesus was just where? With who? In Samaria with a Samaritan woman. Um, we were just told he spent two days there. Now he departs for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. For they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water 
wine. Okay. So remember back several weeks ago, we walked through um, Luke, I'm sorry, John chapter 2, where we saw the miracle where Jesus took water and turned it into wine. Okay, where he took water and estimated he made 900 bottles of wine. Okay, now I heard something recently in the news about them um, actually legalizing some form of powdered alcohol. Okay? Um, and then they came back and said, well, it's not really legal yet. Or, okay, that's not this, okay? This isn't like Jesus had some water and he put some powdered alcohol in it and mixed it in, and you know, like the, the Starbucks Via version. Okay? This is a miracle. Miraculous, okay? So, he's back in Cana. Right? And what do you think is stirring around in Cana? People remember him. Like a miracle like that goes down. People remember. Okay, so he came again to Cana in Galilee where he had turned water into wine. Now, there's a city 20 miles due east of Cana called Capernaum. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. So there's this highly important man believed to have worked near one of the Herod guys, and he has a son that's sick. You know, 20 miles is probably out to St. Charles or so. Um, And this guy, 20 miles out, gets word of Jesus is back in Cana, where he had, same guy, performed the miracle, okay? Now, this nobleman, this official, pretty wealthy guy, we believe, okay, probably had gone to the doctors and had done what he could to pay the money he needed to pay to get healing for his son, okay, because if you're a parent, you know you'll do anything to see that the needs of your kids are met, to see that they can be healed. And here, the son is, is in bad shape, and so nothing was working, so... He decided, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to Jesus. I'm going, traveling 20 miles, crossing the bridge. Somebody picked up on that. St. Charles, just North County. You know, some people are like, don't cross the bridge. You cross the bridge, all right? Okay, and 47. And when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So he's really in this point of desperation. He comes to Jesus. He's like, my son is about to die. 48. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you won't believe. Okay, so this, this, this nobleman, this official is somewhat of a skeptic. Okay? wasn't necessarily a believer in Jesus, in the work of Jesus, in the kingdom of God, was more of a skeptic, and notice that he's coming to Jesus, because, listen, when, when you're at the end of your rope, when you have no other options, you'll go to things that you normally wouldn't have gone to. Now, that'll go positive, and that'll go negative, Right? So there's times in our life when we're at the end of who we are and we, we need some type of Savior, we need some type of help, and we either run to things that we've never ran to before in our, in our demise or we we'll run to things that will heal us. 
Now here in this case, this guy runs to Jesus because he just knew Jesus is a miracle worker. Jesus, he works miracles. I need a miracle. I don't really believe in this guy, but if he can heal my son, that's all I care about. And if I was in that predicament, the first thing on my mind wouldn't be, God, how do you want to sanctify me in this process? Heal my son. Heal my son. So that's, that's where this guy's at. Jesus just kind of rebukes him. He's like, unless you see signs, unless you see me do a miracle, you won't believe. And notice, he doesn't fight back. He doesn't like, okay, let's talk theology. You, you want to know why I don't necessarily believe who you are? You want to, like, you want to talk? Look at what he does. He, he didn't waste any time with that. Um, he said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Okay, now I want to point something out here real quick. Um, when we engage with people, um, have you ever met people that are just very um, hard to the gospel and want nothing to do with what, what we believe and what we have to say? And they'll fight you at every corner. They'll fight you at every point. Have you ever encountered those, those individuals? I mean, all of us, maybe we, we know some. Okay? One of the things that we learned from how Jesus instructed the disciples to do ministry was that you look for what's called the person of peace. Okay, so the people that are going to fight you at every corner, it's not that you don't engage in those dialogues, it's not that you don't engage those people, but don't spend too much time and waste too much time because there's people like this guy who are at the bottom. Okay, they're ripe to the gospel because they have nothing else. Okay, people that are real comfortable, they got money, you know, life's pretty good. You come to them and you say, you need Jesus, they're like, I'm, I'm good. Okay. Find the, find the person that's just at the end of themselves. Broken. In needing of some type of hope. Some type of answer. They're like, oh. Well, tell, tell, me, tell me what you're saying. I heard one guy coined it as the difference between red apple evangelism and green apple evangelism. So Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. Just right there in the, in, the, in, in the encounter, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went away. So in that moment, like um, the guy says, to, or Jesus says to the guy, go on, he's going to live. So the guy, the guy just took him at his word and he's like, oh, okay, and, and he went away and this is incredible and and he was going down, verse 51, his servant met him and told him that his son was recovering. Okay, 20 miles um, isn't that far, unless you're running, okay, then it's crazy, okay. But um, so picture a 20-mile journey, which in Bible times was a distance to travel, but your son's life is in the balance. And you're traveling with the hopes that you find that guy that can heal him. Okay, so he gets word, your son's alive. He will live. Go. So now it's like, okay, let's journey back. Like, here, here we go. But the guy met him and said, he's alive. And then we continue on, 52. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him yesterday, 
At the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So at the very moment, I talk about the healing power of God. Talk about God's ability to just heal brokenness. To mend, to take a dead heart and bring it to life. Just like that, your son will live. And he himself believed in all of his household. How, how cool is that? So here's a guy, he's at the end of himself. Because of the, the place that his son is at. And as a result, he puts his faith in Jesus. And his entire family follows suit. Okay, we can talk about leadership out of that. We talk about like how God can grab a hold of one heart and there's this domino effect that happens. Some of you are walking in that in your families and you're leading a charge in the salvation of your family and changing the course of the history of your family line by you walking a path to pursue Christ that no one else has done and walking a path to pursue healing, gospel healing that no one else has done in your family. Your family is going to forever be changed just like this family. Look at 54. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he came from Galilee, from Judah to Galilee. Okay, so John's like, okay, that, that encounter right there that we just walked through was a sign of something. What? Jesus is the Christ. He's the Savior. He's the only one that can heal our broken hearts, that can mend our sinful wounds. He's the only one that we have to put our faith and trust in. So, let me just stop right here and just ask, what, what is that for you? What is that? Maybe God has you in a place of at the end, of, at a place where all you have is him to run to. Will you? Because he wants to bring salvation to your heart and to the heart of hearts of those around you, to the hearts of your siblings, to the hearts of your parents, to the hearts of your children, to the hearts of your nieces and nephews and aunts and uncles and your neighbor. Those events that are going on around you are signs that Jesus has put in your life to help point you to him. Okay? That somehow he's allowed in his sovereign providence. You're like, how could he put that in my life? I don't know that I can fully answer that other than the fact that in some way it points you to Christ. That he's the savior. Okay, that's story one. Ready for story two? Here we go. John 5. After this, there was a feast. The Jews, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Okay, so he's now traveled to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool. In Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. Now let me stop there for a sec. Um, so something to note here 
there's, a, there's this thing called a sheep gate. Anybody have one? Me neither. Um, this sheep gate dates all the way back to Nehemiah's day. Okay, when Nehemiah rebuilt the city and the walls in Jerusalem, okay, there was this gate that they built called the Sheep Gate. And here's what this gate was for here now in Jesus' time. Okay, it was a gate that out that gate was the sheep market. So you go out that gate and, and it's where you could buy sheep. Okay? It was also the gate that was used to bring the sheep in to have them cleaned for sacrifice. Makes sense. Sheep gate, right? I would have called it that, right? Sheep going out of it? Okay, here's the crazy thing. It's one of the gates. And I want to talk about like your fence. It has a gate. Okay, and you open it up. We're talking about like into the city. There's a gate. Okay? And it's an entrance into the region of the city of Jerusalem. Now, this gate was one of the most common paths that Jesus took when he entered into Jerusalem. It's also on the path to Golgotha, Calvary. Jesus, when he walked the path to Calvary, he went through the sheep gate. It's why John... When he saw the Christ, in John chapter 1, verse 29, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Okay, you, see in, you see in the picture here? Okay, now, now we're, this is the scene here. This gate. This is the scene that we're at. Verse 2 says, Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, an Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Okay, now, sounds like a pleasant place, right? Okay, there's these five roofed areas, these places of shelter where um, broken, uh, diseased, where lame, blind um, people are laying, are sitting. Why? Because they believe that they're at a place where God can heal them. Okay, now, um, I, want, I want to point out something here that, that was happening in this day. Because one of the beliefs here was the reason why these individuals were, were laying here is because they believed this pool could heal them. They believed... Um, what would happen was an angel would come and stir the waters. And when the water was stirred, the first one into the pool would be healed. It was like a race for the paralyzed guy. <laughs> Doesn't go so well, right? Okay, but, okay, but hold up. It was, it was a myth. Okay, look, look in your Bible. Look at verse 4. I want you to put lay eyes on verse 4. You got it? Shoot, who should we call? Because my Bible has a printing error. Anybody else's? Okay. Unless you have the King James Version. Um, for those of you that don't, look down in the footnotes most likely. 
um, the verse isn't there. There, It goes from 3 to 5. Okay, here's why. Um, Verse, the end of verse 3 and the beginning of verse 4, or all of verse 4, weren't in the original documents. Okay, and so what would happen is um, the Bible was written by hand, and guys would like write in the margins. And sometimes when they were actually compiling the scriptures, they, they would confuse the, what's written in the margins from what's actually the words of scripture. Okay, and so um, the original documents actually didn't contain this. It's, that's what it's believed. And so that's why they put them in the footnotes. Because here's what was happening. There was a well. Area wells. That would push water into these pools. And would stir the waters. Okay? And so somebody started a myth of sorts. That said, angels are here. And they're stirring the waters for us to be healed. Okay? So, these people believe that. They believe that myth. They believe that lie. But continue on. One man, verse 5, was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Okay, so, so picture this. Here's a guy who's laying here in the hopes that he might be healed. Um, in the hopes that... Um, what they believed, some, would, that these angels would stir these waters. Um, he's laying there. But he, this has been his condition for 38 years. Not that he's lived in that spot for 38 years, but that he's been um, some type of paralyzed. Like we know that he's been, he can't walk for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there for a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm going, or while I'm going another steps in down before me. Okay, interesting picture of his view of God's grace being that it's this first come, first serve basis. Being that you've got to be the first one in. Okay, but here he is laying here, and Jesus asks him, Do you want to be healed? Okay, you know, you know what that question's. To, to a paralyzed person, you know what that question is like? It's like asking a kid if they want candy. Right? I mean, yeah. Hey, would you like candy for breakfast this morning? Yeah. Okay, hey, you haven't been able to walk for 38 years. Do you have any interest in me healing you? No, I'm good, you know. Um, no, like, it's an interesting question. That Jesus would come at it from that perspective, that he would ask that type of question. Now, but before we dive into that here, I want you to think for a moment of, um, of some type of habit that you have that you can't break. Think about for a moment of a habit that you have that you can't break. Okay, now share that with somebody next to you. You're like, no, I'm not telling them. I'm not doing it. Okay, now, think of a habit of the person next to you that they can't break. Now, share that with them. Okay, a couple people are leaving. It's all right. So, for me, uh, here's what it is, and some people can attest to this, but, so I like sleeping, and I don't like getting up, okay? So, like, um, and it's kind of been this journey from my entire life that I really enjoy ignoring my alarm clock and really enjoy (laughs) 
hitting the snooze. And uh, right, Kyle, my roommate for years. Um, so it's this disease that I have that has scarred a few people around um, that uh, I need to be healed from, right? So, so, so picture this. Take, take whatever situation that is. Take whatever instance, take whatever like you're thinking about, this habit that you have. Have you ever tried to stop? Have you ever tried to alter the course? Have you ever tried to change? I'm just going to stop. I'm just going to get up every time the alarm was off on the first noise. And good morning, sunshine. It's a bright, beautiful day. It's hard, right? Okay, so take a guy who's been paralyzed for 38 years. Okay, so he's learned a way of life. He's learned how to function in some way to where he can manage, he can get by and be okay with the disease that he has. So here in this moment, think about it. Jesus looks at him and says, do you want to be healed? Because healing meant radical life change for guys who've been paralyzed for 38 years. You're talking about a guy that's been pushed out, pushed to the outskirts of society all of his life. You're going to then give him mobility, and he's going to then have to fend for himself. Um, you know, it's, he's dependent upon others to probably feed him and bring him things. And at this point, it's like, now you're on your own. You take a guy that's 38 years old, and like, what about work? And what about providing for himself? And like, this is going to require some effort, and it's going to be radical. Do you want me to heal you? can't just sit there anymore. Like, I want to heal you, but it's going to re- require you to begin to take steps of faith. Um, it's why it's common for criminals who've been incarcerated for years to get out of prison and go and commit the same crime almost immediately after getting out. Why? Because when you've been pushed out of society like that, you learn to find comfort in, hey, here's a bed. Three meals a day? Like I might be in prison, but I'm provided for in some way. Okay? We get real comfortable in our own bondage. We get real comfortable in our own prisons that we create, the decisions that we make, that the, the road to healing and the path to God healing our hearts? Listen, most of us do not want. You will naturally, your flesh will naturally resist the spiritual healing that God wants to do in you. You know, our bodies are made to heal, right? Like the way that God's designed our bodies, you cut yourself, like what happens? Like you, your flesh begins to like close up and it begins to heal. Like that's how God's designed us. But the problem is that when sin comes into the picture and brokenness comes into the picture, the road to healing and the path to healing becomes difficult and becomes painful. And there's diseases and there's situations that come into play because we live in a broken, sinful world. So here's this guy. Jesus is looking him in the eye and he's like, do you want to be healed? Verse 8, Jesus said to him, get up. Take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Can you imagine that? I mean, 38 years. 
healed, set free. He just goes. Now continue on because it gets interesting. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, is, It is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is this man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were, were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Okay, now picture this. I love this, because there's a conflict here. Now, I'm not a huge fan of conflict, but I love this conflict because it teaches me something. Okay, picture in this moment, Jesus knew the religious leaders are going to have a problem with this. Okay? Because the religious leaders, here's what they had done. Okay? You know, in order to keep the Sabbath, in order to, to keep the laws of God, they made more laws. They made 39 rules that were added to God's rules to say, here's how we're going to help keep God's rules. Or one of those rules was that you couldn't pick up an object and carry it from one place to another on the Sabbath. Okay, so... So that's a problem here in this moment. Not only was the fact that healing on the Sabbath was, they had a problem with that too, but so picture Jesus here. It's like, okay, you're healed, but I need you to, it's the Sabbath, and you can't, you can't get up yet. Or if you get up, you got to leave your bed, because if you pick it up, like they're going to have a problem with that. No, what? That doesn't make sense, right? That's like ridiculous, because here, here's what religious people do. They build scaffolding around the things of God to protect themselves, to, to, to make sure that they do the things of God. They build these systems and these structures that, that sometimes can be very good and sometimes can be very bad because they become the, the Savior, not Christ, not the Son of God. Traditions and rules become the Savior rather than the Son of God becoming the Savior. And they hope that when they run to these rules and they run to these traditions, these are the things that will actually help them be who God's called them to be. But really, in fact, what they do is they create further bondage. They don't set us free. Okay, so, but on another note, like pic- picture this. This guy hasn't walked for 38 years. Okay? Picture the joy. I don't know if he's running, if he's dancing, if he's screaming, if he's celebrating. And the spiritual police come up to him. Bro, what are you doing? The thing you're in bed you're holding? You're breaking the law. What would that be like? Have you ever been celebrating something and someone came and just kind of squashed it? 
Like that, that's what happened here. I mean, you talk about, I mean, and, and some of us are, are that, that person. I've been that person. I was that person for much of my life. Okay? That I had this view of God. That really didn't have much room for celebrating. Really didn't have much room for God to heal brokenness and heal bondage because it didn't quite fit into how I knew God would do it. Talk about a wicked and deceitful heart that's focused on you're carrying your mat, dude. You're not carrying, you're not, rather than celebrating what Christ had done in his heart. Now, now let's stop because that's story two. Okay, so like what's going on here? Okay, we talked about these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So these two stories really are signs that Jesus performed to say, I'm the guy. Like, I'm the one, I'm the hope, I'm the Savior, I'm the one that can come and bring life. And the truth is that these stories depict the healing power of God for you and for me, okay, in our own hearts, in the hearts of the people that you encounter every single day, in the situations that are so broken and so messed up, and you're like, I don't know how there's hope here. You are the embodiment of that hope. And maybe, like me, you have the tendency to run into those situations. Put your mat down. Rather than walking in, celebrating the hope that God offers to brokenness. The healing power that he offers. Okay? Because in these stories, we learn, and each one of us, we need to be healed. You're like, no, I don't, I don't know that I do. No, you do. For years, I would have told you I didn't need to be healed. For years, I would have told you I was good. Church kid, self-righteous, good boy. He had Jesus down on the cross, absolutely. But I'm a really good person. And the gospel comes along and it says, you're broken. I'm broken. I'm broken. I need God to heal my heart. But here's the truth. Is that the invitation to healing will always bring opposition. Okay? Maybe it's religious opposition. In, in this form. The way we saw with this woman. Okay? Bound to the rabbinic tradition. Church history, man-made rules. Maybe it's cultural tradition. Okay? Angel comes, stirs the water. Drink of a healing. It's outside of the gospel that heals you. Maybe that's what the culture's saying. Okay, it's in opposition to how God, through the gospel, heals our hearts. Maybe it's physical. Well, why isn't God healing me? I've had this issue, I've been praying fervently for God to heal me. Listen, God wants to take that situation and use it 
whether he heals you physically or not, in this life, and use it to force you to depend upon him. He wants to use physical ailments to heal you spiritually. When your desire and my desire is screw the spiritual healing, like I just want to be okay physically. I just want to feel good, right? I just want my body to function right. I just want to look a certain way. It's like, I'm more interested in your spiritual well being, in your spiritual growth, in your spiritual healing. So I'm going to use physical ailment to sit you down to say, listen, like you need me. You need me. But maybe, maybe it's personal opposition. Do you want to be healed? I said it earlier. Every single one of us, naturally, we resist God's healing power. Listen. The path that God wants to take your life on to make you the person he wants you to be in your flesh, you want no part of. Okay? Any of you feel that? Any of you like, I I feel that opposition. I feel that tension. I want no part of this path because of, I know what it's going to cost me. So, years ago, my wife came to me and she's like, God's calling us to adopt. Like, I don't even know if we were married at this point. And I'm like, you're ridiculous. Like, no, absolutely not. Okay. Um, I've shared some of this before, so I'm going somewhere with it. So those of you that are like, hey, you've already shared this, like, hang with me because I'm going somewhere with it. Um, for those of you who don't know the story, let me tell the backstory um, as I draw some conclusions here. So, I was like, no, like, I, I really don't believe that's what God, you know, oh, I'll pray about it, right? Okay, so I began to pray about it. So we began to continue talking, continue talking, and I'm like, okay, maybe, maybe we're supposed to do this. God started stirring in my heart, started leading me there, um, and, and then Danielle's like, well, I think actually it looks like not international, but it looks domestic. Like, it looks like around here, and I'm like, oh, like, International adoption is like really cool sounding and like, well, you you your kids from Ethiopia, like what you know, like so I'm like, I don't know about that, babe. Like, um and then God starts stirring in my heart, starts stirring in my heart, and like Okay, yeah, you're right. And uh and so you know, we're beginning to pray and continue thinking about what does this look like? What does this look like? And uh she's like, Actually I think it looks like foster care, and I'm like, Oh, you're nuts. You are ridiculous. I disagree. Uh, I'm the leader here. Um, no, so I'm like, uh, okay, um, let's pray about that. Let's think about that. Let's think about that. So um, obviously you guys know we've, we started that journey, and we're in that journey. And it has been unbelievably refining. Unbelievably refining. And listen, my story that I just shared, and the continued story is that I fight that journey at every turn. I told, I told the Lord the other day, <laughs> I was like, God, I, I really don't want to want to adopt these kids if it gets to that point. And it, and it might. It's, you know, we're nine months out. I mean, it might not. I don't know. But I was like, I really don't want to. 
Because it's just going to be really hard. Again, it's like, here I am again. Like, I'm fighting. Like, God's like, I want to do a healing work in your heart. Okay, because for me, I want to position my family, and I want to position my kids in the perfect scenario. I want my, my kids to experience perfect situations so that they can become perfect kids and perfect adults. But what God's showing me through our journey to foster and one day adopt is that I'm not in control at all. And no matter how hard I position my day, there's going to be times it falls flat on its face. And I have to see how the, the hope of the gospel fits into the brokenness of a moment rather than creating perfect moments so I don't need the gospel. Like, you see that? You will resist, if you're not careful, the path for healing that God has for you. And I'm standing before you today to say, you got to trust him. Like, you got to trust him, and I'm still trying to trust him. And I don't do it very often, and I don't do it very well. But God wants to take you where you are presently today, the state of your spiritual condition, and he wants to propel you more fully and more deeper into him. Will you fight it? Or will you learn to trust it? You might fight it along the way. But moments of trust, moments of surrender, moments of, I don't like this, but okay, I trust you. Moments of, I don't like this, but you're good. Moments of, I don't like this, but you are God. And I don't know where this path is going to go. But I know you're in control. And when you lead me down a path, you don't just send me out. You walk with me. Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. He's with me. No matter what that looks like in your life, will you let God heal you? Let's pray and let um, give you opportunity to talk to him about that. God, I thank you that you have a holistic, hopeful journey for my life and for the lives of every person here. That you want to do unbelievable things in their heart and in their life. And I thank you that you are not content with letting me sit in my sin, with letting me sit in my fear, with letting me sit in my failure, with letting me sit in a comfortable, predictable, I'm in control life that you love us too much for that and you beckon us out to a life that demands that we throw ourselves at your mercy. So God, we do that right now. For those in this room that are stirring, you're stirring in their hearts and they're clinging tightly. Would you, I beg, enable them to let go a little bit this morning. Maybe completely, but maybe just a little bit would be 
would be good. God, lead us as we respond, as we move, as we sing, as we celebrate. Would you set us free this morning and they would never be the same in Christ's name. Amen.